0: You are listening to The Art of Homemaking, and I'm your host, sally Ann, bringing you conversations with experts in their fields to help us make our homes places we love. I'm delighted to have Judy Stewart join us today to discuss the very difficult balancing act of home, family and career, and also how we resume a career or reinvent one after a pause. Thanks for joining us, Judy. Well, thank you for asking me, sally Ann. It's very nice to be here. Judy, you've had an amazing and varied career path, and it must have been a very full one with four boys. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about that.
1: Well, it was a very patchwork career path, and probably the most notable part of it was that I did stop completely for 15 years. made it hard to start again. But I sort of had the legal part before I had the children and then I had the children and there was no way I was going back into the law after that. So I basically had to reinvent myself. And so I started in the not-for-profit sector, um, initially through music, um, classical music and the performing arts. And then I flipped over to science when I did what was my longest job, which was at eight years as the CEO of the Great Barrier Reef Foundation which was a you know at a time when it it also needed to be reinvented it had gone through some Mm. difficult times and so I did that for eight years and then fell in a bit of a heap at the end of that and then set about thinking well I didn't I knew I didn't want to go and work for anybody else but I had to find something that I would like to do that I felt would be rewarding, which is how I came to do the podcast. I was working for the foundation and we were trying to raise money. And I was over there to attend a very sort of special conference that was run by Bill Clinton and his foundation, which has since had some rocky sort of moments. And Goldman Sachs were supporting me. And so they opened up their boardroom in New York to me to, and hosted a dinner, which the Rockefeller Foundation attended. Um, mm. I have to say it was one of those moments where I pinched myself and thought, wow, this is, as I watched the lights come up on the Statue <laughs> of Liberty at dusk, I thought, wow, this is good for a girl from Brisbane, Queensland, Australia, you know, <laughs> to have a moment like this. But, look, those moments, for every great moment you have like that, you have a 1,000 hours of work so um it was exciting and they were great moments but oh you know it's you know it's the ups and the downs you know doing a lot of traveling for work Mm -hmm. and we weren't a big organization we were a handful of people i had no physical backup um when i was traveling and Mm -hmm. which basically meant anything that had to be done i had to do which is how i sort of used to come to know hotel concierges very well. They became my, you know, my, well, I wouldn't call them unpaid because you used to have to give them gigantic tips at the end, but they, they became my man Friday wherever I was. Doing a lot of travelling. And by the end,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I was just always away, you know, at least two nights a week away from home. And I just got to the point where I just, I was homesick. I really wanted to go yeah. home. The point where I knew I had to stop. I just, I just didn't want to, I just couldn't bear the thought of starting it all over again. I've since read that these are all the classic signs of burnout. You know, we all sort of soldier on and, until we drop. So that was the moment. I woke up one night, I was in Melbourne, and I just thought, I
0: just, I really want to go home. And what was it that you missed most about home when you were doing all that travelling, apart from family, obviously, you know?
1: Well, I did, I, did miss, I did miss my family and, I, you know, I did miss a lot of things along the way. You have to make a choice and, mm. and maybe I didn't always make the best choices. You know, I let things, things I should have attended, I didn't attend. And, but, you know, look, you've got to live with that. But yeah. I think with home, we've lived in the same house Uh, for almost all the time we've had a family. It's nearly 34 years. It is a family home. I Mm. feel like it must be my sort of, it's really my anchor. It's very much the place that I feel very grounded and happy. Everything around me, I mean, I did live with five men, one husband and four (laughs) sons, but I still think that Mm. I managed somehow to push through and make things warm and cosy and... Sort of fe- quite feminine without being frilly. Yes, and, and that was a real. There was a real magnetic pull for me to get home all the time. I've got a really strong home. I, I mean, I think I am a homebody anyway.
0: And and I think that probably for a lot of us during this whole period of lockdown, you know, we've probably really come to that point where where we've recognised how much we appreciate it. I, yeah. I definitely do and
1: and I was so glad we hadn 't sold up and done what a lot of people have done and mm-hmm. gone to the next chapter in a small apartment. I mean, <laughs> I was very glad I felt like we completely recolonized the family home we were living in every corner of the house yeah. every room that you know and and like everyone else, you know, I had the cleaning frenzy and the got rid of a lot of stuff and you know, tidied up and all of that. But yes, yes, I really did feel very happy to be at home. It it didn't, Mm. I mean, quite frankly, I'd be very glad to go traveling too. (laughs) It was good to feel very safe and secure, I think.
0: For many years, the role of homemakers seems to have been undervalued in our society. How is this role in today's world relevant, Judy? For me, there
1: is a domestic round that I find very grounding. Mm. I've always liked being in the kitchen. I don't particularly, I mean, not, I, I find the boring, repetitive cooking yeah. boring and repetitive, but <laughs> I've always liked being in the kitchen. And that was very, especially in a family of boys, that was my way of connecting with them to cook yeah. with them and for them that was a big part of our family life when I found I struggled to find those ways to connect with them because I was not a sporty person and I I didn't like all that football and everything so that was my way of connecting with them so if that's homemaking um I like doing all the slow things also the jam making Mm -hmm. and I like that sense of um abundance in the kitchen where and I think what I learned during COVID was also the making do. You know, I kept on thinking, oh, this is like yeah. the war. Couldn't get this and you couldn't get that. And so you think, oh, okay, well, yeah. what have I got here that I can use? So I like all that stuff. And a bit yeah. like you, I'm also a surrogate laundress. It's the I always say it's <laughs> one room that my boys would never follow me into, never once. <laughs> if I wanted to be alone, I could go to the laundry. And there was always work to do. And I don't mind doing that sort of stuff. But... Um, but you know as I say I, I I also like someone else to do it for me mm-hmm. you know I don't if I'm tired I don't want to do it and it's really good to have someone else to lend a hand and
0: I expect yes. them to- your family have been trained up to sort of do their part in the running of the house have they well, you- I,
1: I did the best I could I mean mm-hmm. I was determined that I wouldn't be the handmaiden to the Lords
0: yes you know <laughs>
1: five men I wasn't going to you know, run myself into the ground serving yeah. them. But having said that, I probably did. But I did teach all of them to cook and they're all really, you know, good cooks and I yeah. think that the women that, that they've partnered with and others have appreciated that. But, but we did lots of cooking as a family and that was the thing that really made our family work.
0: For many of us, we struggle with the idea and we talked about this of perfectionism. For a lot of women, we seem to have this unrealistic um, idea that we have to reach. I loved what your guest Nicoletta Rubenstein said on a recent podcast about adequate being the new perfect. What's your take on that?
1: No, I loved, uh, just to explain, so on the podcast, um, I interviewed Nicolette Rubenstein and she was the head of strategy at Colonial First State, which is a subsidiary, or was, I don't know if it still is, a subsidi- subsidiary of the Commonwealth Bank. Mm-hmm. And so she was really smart. She had, uh, she had an, a background as an actuary, so she's a very methodical person, multi- which when combined with the strategic thinking brain sat down and thought why is having how am i going to make my career work alongside having a family and Mm -hmm. she ended up having three daughters and basically worked part-time through the whole thing but she worked part-time by working every day instead of Mm -hmm. so from eight till two say instead of working three days a week so that she was always there but she was only there for a certain amount of time. She was very disciplined about that. And then she wrote this yeah. book called Not Guilty, which I could recommend to absolutely anyone who's trying yeah. to juggle family and children or even just husbands and work. It's yeah. the most brilliant book because she works, yeah. she uses the McKinsey 7S framework for strategic planning and basically applies it to you know, a domestic life of working yeah. and running a house and family and marriage and she does come to the point where she wrestles with this perfectionism which for some reason you know we it it seems to be a I wouldn't say an exclusively female trait but it's certainly Mm -hmm. something that a lot of women suffer from including me and she's come up with this adequate is the new perfect so I'd like to agree with her I don't know that I'm always good at that but I think that the way she presents it in the book. She, she, as good as says, actually, you can't have it all. No, or you can't, can't have it all, you know, simultaneously and that something's yeah. got to give. And actually there are a lot of things that you can just let go of before you even think about anything else that will make your life easier.
0: So, Judy, you, ca- you came home after this time of lots of travel and how long did you take until you decided to do your podcasts?
1: 2019. And so that's quite a while. That's seven years. But I did start to write a book. I am supposed to be writing a book. I don't even mention it anymore. I've <laughs> written it and, and it's not my favourite project. And the whole idea of the podcast was really to augment the book with, you know, real-life stories, interesting people who'd had sometimes catastrophic upheavals in their professional working lives uh, worked out how to get back to work or people who were who had been in the position of advising people who mm-hmm. were doing freelance work like opera singers or in the performing arts people like people who advise those people how do you get in and keep on attracting roles and that sort of thing and um, those yeah. stories were supposed to augment the book so it was a bit of a long journey I started with the book and then the podcast started and then it sort of took it just overtook the book really and you know it's so it took me quite a while I did do a few things in between I actually had an interest in a fashion business for three (laughs) years which was at the opposite end of the spectrum from what I'd been doing but I'd always been interested in fashion and um so I uh went into business with someone who was in that world and, um, right. and you know, found that very interesting but not interesting enough to make it my life.
0: I, th- I think it's such a wonderful podcast. Interviewing so many different women with many different careers reinforces that idea that it's not one size fits all. We all have to adapt and continually try different things to see what's going to work.
1: Well, I think I sort of started with women because that was my experience. I was actually asked when I was working, how on earth did I take 15 years off and get back in? Because it's yeah. not always easy. to. And so the idea of writing the book was to describe the journey that I took, which was through the not-for-profit sector, which was actually a really good way to, to find a way in. And the, the interesting thing about the not-for-profit sector is that nowadays everyone senior in business basically has to get involved with some course or other so that in the process of working in one of those charities you come up against people who you would never normally meet in an ordinary working life and um, and so it's great experience and also they can become incredible mentors and also they're always looking for people with talent to uh, Introducing to other roles, so it was a great conduit for me. How would you describe your podcast, Judy? Well, the premise of the podcast is that it's about helping women to reinvent their careers or mastermind a new career after some sort of hiatus at work. Really, what it's about, and. Yeah. I have found no shortage of people who are interested in, in, in the subject because, and especially now after COVID, you know, there's this great resignation, as they call it, where a lot of people are really rethinking: is this really the way I want to live? So it's been, I mean, it's a labour of love, really. I mean, I. I, yeah. <laughs> I've really just told my story and then told other stories a lot.
0: So so what advice would you give to those looking at getting back into the workforce or changing direction?
1: Well give them the same advice that I've given on a lot of other subjects and that is to decide to take a step. Because so many people back and sort of say to you, Oh well, you know, What you've done is amazing. You've reinvented your career or you've created this masterpiece or you've baked a cake or whatever you've done. And they'll they'll say, how do you do that? And you tell them. And you can see even as you're telling them that they're thinking, I could never do that. Best advice, and I've said this to my children, is just decide. You're going to do something and you may not get where you think you're going to get to but deciding to take a step is always Mm -hmm. the first thing and and instead Mm -hmm. of just going around in that circle of saying well you know i'm not (laughs) as clever as her i'm not as attractive as her i'm not as sensible as her i haven't got as much money as i'm not talking about myself obviously um, I haven't got as much money. I, you know, it's not about any of those things. It's yeah. up here, deciding. Mm.
0: So for those that want to change direction, how do we work out, you know, is it what, do you look at the things you love or what, what's your advice there?
1: Well, I, I do think you have to look at the things you love. But if I look at my own life, for instance, say I like cooking. Well, I never wanted to be a professional chef. <laughs> no way, too hard. No. So, yeah. but I was interested in music, and that mm. was how I got back in. So, that was an interest. I mean, I can't see the point in doing anything that you don't like. And most of the people who leave something, they leave because it didn't suit. Mm. But I think you do have to do an audit of your skills and experience, and also Mm. all of the things that make you who you are. There was another interview I did with a very old friend of mine, Tim Walker, who for nearly 20 years ran the London Philharmonic Orchestra, which is a very big undertaking. It's one of the top Mm. three orchestras in the world. And Mm. I interviewed him for the podcast to try and elicit from him, you know, what sort of advice... Did he give and he said that when he was looking at people to hire, he would look to see what sort of background they had, what sort of values they had. You know, the the thing the way they spoke, if they spoke nicely, you know, the way they treated other people, all Mm. of these things make up who you are as a candidate, and a lot more of these things are being taken into account nowadays. And so, yes, I think it's important to to, at least like what you do. I I, I don't think that we can all just go off and follow our, you know, necessarily just follow our, quote, unquote, passion, the overworked term. I think you've got to do a sensible audit of who you are and what you bring to the table. And if it's not adequate, mm. then do the work to you know, skill up. And, in fact, there was a good piece in, I think it was in the Financial Review, and it's still on the website there. It's been on for weeks. And when I scroll through, I I keep on seeing it, and it says, and I say this in a guilty way, watch one fewer Netflix episodes a week and do one, you know, Mm self-learning exercise in that gap that you create. And I see that every week and I think, oh, you know, less TV, more work. But it's true. You know, you yeah. can you can use those hours that you can separate out to skill yeah. up and so much is available online now. I'm doing two courses myself at the moment. It's nearly killing me. One is supposed to be four hours a week and I'm taking about 44 hours a week to do it. But it, you know, it does give you, if you're sort of at home and not doing anything it's really hard to go from zero to 100 yeah you know Mm. and my view is that one way to transition to getting back in the mode of working is to do these short courses because Mm. it creates a structure especially those ones where you have to sort of attend online and so you have to be there at a certain time and in the moment there was one I'm just going to plug my podcast one more time. One of my other favorite episodes is with this American woman called Molly Beck, and she wrote a book called Reach Out, and it's all about how you build your network in a very um, in a way from your own desk. You don't have to go to a party. You don't have to put on your finery. You don't have to go and talk to strangers. You do it. There's, she's got a methodology where you do the whole thing on email, and right. And you do it all from your own desk. But anyway, she subsequently ran a course, which I did. And you had to turn up for 27 minutes at 9.27 every morning. (laughs) It must have been five days a week, but because it was run out of the States, it was Tuesday to Saturday mornings for us here in Australia. It was Mm 9.27 p.m. there. It was 9.27 a.m. here. And I did that for 27 days. And I actually did it twice because it was such a good way just to just get me started at the desk. And once I'd done my 27 minutes and my reach out every morning, I was I was in the zone. You know, yeah. I wasn't gonna get up and just go and fritter away the day. So those, you know, some of those things are good ways to just get started.
0: Obviously been through a lot of changes over the last couple of years in the way that we live at home now. What are some of the things that you can see becoming more permanent going forward for you in your home?
1: know I think I've become more settled at home you know not gallivanting around not tearing around wasting time I mean I think I could probably spend a bit less time at home but I think I think it's made me much more conscious of enjoying being and being still yes which I can't help but think is a good thing
0: it's become very content at home I think during this time I think
1: in fact, you know, you sort of wonder where contentment finishes and agrophobia begins. Yes. But um, I think we're going to have to push ourselves out the door once the danger recedes. But I yeah, think I think it's, it's made it's made a lot of people more content with less.
0: Judy, if you could do it all again, what would you say to your younger self? Um. I think I'd say
1: that I should celebrate the small things Mm. you know you know when you've got a family and it's all so busy and
0: you just Mm.
1: let things you just let things blend into the background whereas I think looking back I even see the way my children parent now and they're everything's so exciting you know every small (laughs) thing is such a big (laughs) deal and I sort of ran out of the energy to do that, I think. And I, I think looking back, I mean, I do probably have a few regrets that I was always in a hurry, just hurrying everybody along. And I think I'd go yeah. back and just celebrate those small things and, and
0: laugh a bit more and, and just slow down. Yeah, I, th- I think that's definitely something I could have done better. Uh, what's the best advice you've ever been given? The best
1: advice... I was ever given was the chairman I worked for at the foundation was a fellow called John Schubert, he's still alive and in fact he's still chair of the foundation and he had he was at that time the chair of the Commonwealth Bank and I was absolutely terrified of him and he was quite a silent sort of person in that he was a chemical engineer he was very much that you know right brain type and he didn't say much but and I used to over, overdo everything. I overworked everything. I overthought everything. I overprepared everything. And he eventually told me about the 80-20 rule, which is basically that 80% of the result comes from 20% of the effort.
0: Mm-hmm. So,
1: you know, the, the core of anything you do is probably okay. That was the best advice I ever had. It made me really think, you know, I had to work out what mm-hmm. eighty was and what twenty was, but eighty mm. percent of the effect came from twenty percent of the effort. So yeah. you know mm.
0: that
1: point about just deciding and starting. You yes. know, just starting gets yes. you quite a distance. That great book written by that admiral who wrote that book, um, Just Make Your Bed or Make something bed. like that. Yeah you know, that whole act of making your bed in the morning, just one achievement, something done yeah. all the way. And once you start doing things, you yeah. know, there's,
0: you build some momentum. It does work. Judy, what would you say to people who might be really struggling at the moment with young children, careers, home, what do you feel would really make a difference?
1: Well, you know, the first thing I'd say is just be a little easy on yourself. It's really hard. Children are very demanding. And I think you've got to think about it as, you know, it's a cumulative thing, child rearing Mm -hmm. and marriage and all those things. And everyone has a bad day. Everyone You know has a shrieking fit every now and again it's normal they're very annoying at times but you know the those bonds working on those bonds is important and they last a lifetime you know um but the second thing i'd say is i would come back to nicolette rubenstein's book it's called not guilty you can buy it and read it on your ipad or on your phone and it's a quick read but it gives you a lot of strategies for how to manage. And one of them, which mm-hmm. I'm going to reference, is she makes the case for paying for some help, even if it's just once a month,
0: mm-hmm.
1: so that you can get a break. If you don't have family around you who'll help you out, you know, even mm-hmm. just to pay for a babysitter once a month, so that mm-hmm. you have some quiet time you know, either with a partner or even just for yourself. But it's interesting, over the course of the podcast, I've interviewed lots of very successful women and they don't like saying that they pay for help.
0: I'm yeah. saying
1: I paid for lots of help yeah. and I think it's the sanity valve that mm-hmm. it's it it really helps. You can't do it all on your own to that magnificent standard. It just... Everyone needs a break, and a, the woman is the last person to get one. So, you know, to be perfectly honest, that would be that would be my biggest advice: be easy on yourself, be a bit easy on yourself, and get a bit of help. Yeah, help when you need it. Yeah, no, that's
0: great. For everyone that's on here, I'd love you to go and have a look at Judy's podcast: www.unpause.net. And I think it's on Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well. Pretty easy to find. Thank you very much, Judy Stewart, for joining us. And thank you to everyone who's listened in. Bye.